AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. The Environmental Protection Agency was under court order to deliver proposed blending obligations under the RFS yesterday. And this morning at just 10.01, we finally got some of those details from EPA. I'm not sure exactly what is in there yet, but we are going to get to the details today. We'll also get details of why the oil industry is in support of year-round availability of E15. And let's talk taxes to get you ready for the end of the year and meet the new chair of the U.S. MEF. Live from the dawn of December 2022 via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning we have a conversation with Growth Energy CEO Emily Score, and we talk taxes, like Chip said, with Farm CPA himself, Paul Niefer. In the final segment, we visit with Dean Meyer of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. The news is with Michelle Rook, I'm producer Big Apple Joe Stackler, and now the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. All right, Joe, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Welcome to AgriTalk. I am Chip Flory. Davis is on vacation this week, and uh, Michelle Rook is in for Davis. And, Michelle, I don't think we should waste any time. We need to jump right into this because just a couple of minutes ago, 10.01 Central is the timestamp on my email we got the announcement from EPA. Now, as we go through some of the details in the announcement, what are you noticing? Because we had some of the some of the details were leaked, were yeah, uh, whatever uh, through Reuters and Bloomberg yesterday afternoon. Yes, and they look to be pretty much on base with the Reuters story. Okay. So overall, uh, do you want me to go through these right now? Yeah, sure. Go for it. So overall blending mandates of, according to the proposal, 20.82 billion gallons in 2023, 21.87 in 2024, and 22.68 billion gallons in 2025. Now, the volumes of conventional corn-based ethanol would be at 15 billion gallons for 23, 15.25 in both 24 and 25. Now, advanced biofuel blending volume mandates, yes. 5.82 billion gallons in 23, 6.62 billion in 24, ramping up to 7.43 billion gallons in 2025, and then breaking out the biomass-based diesel, 2. no, nope, I'm on the wrong one, 2.82 billion gallons for 23, 2.89 for 24, and 2.95 for 25. We do not have anything on renewable diesel. That's what's right. missing. That's what I'm not finding so far. Yeah. Um, I, I've I've talked with a couple of people about that this morning, Michelle. Uh, one of them being Pete Meyer, S&P Global Commodity Insights, uh, trying to figure out exactly what is going on with the renewable diesel. The idea there is that, number one, the renewable diesel demand – uh, is going to be driven by state rules and regulations. So, in other words, like California's low carbon fuel standard okay. would be driving that, not so much the RFS. Uh, 
and you know, I think that we, well, we should make note that soybean oil futures are sharply lower, more than four hundred points lower this morning, even with crude oil futures more than two bucks higher in the January and February contracts. So those two things are running counter, which certainly suggests that the soybean oil market is responding to exactly what you said that yep. that that there is no mention of renewable diesel in in, in this. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think that that has much impact on renewable diesel demand use uh, going forward it, because it is driven by more of the state rules and regulations. Actually, this is a better scenario, though, because it's being driven by actual demand, not necessarily yes. mandated demand. Bang! You got it. That is exactly right, Michelle. That is exactly right. Um, and and that is the feel that I'm getting from from some that that follow it very closely. The other uh, the the other feedback that I'm getting from the you know some of the same people this morning is that the price of soybean oil does have an impact on the plans for renewable diesel production. Absolutely. You get above you get above 70 cents a gallon and the refiners they back may not off. be interested. Yes. Or may go not be to other in. other stock. Exactly. So that realization may be coming into the market this morning as well that maybe soybean oil prices got a little bit too far out in front. And started to choke off some of that potential renewable diesel demand going forward. So, boy, a lot of moving parts. I'm glad we've got Emily Score coming up in the next segment. Can you stick around for that, Michelle? Sure. I I, I wish you would because this is a a, a complicated issue and one that we can use as many brain cells on as we can. She's way smarter than me about this, Well, she's way smarter than you and me combined on this. Yes. And uh, looking forward to the conversation there. Okay, what else have we got news this morning? Well, of course, that's overshadowing some of the other big news from yesterday where the House voted to approve a bill to avert a rail strike and impose a tentative contract deal reached in September. The measure now heads to the Senate. Quick action on the bill will depend on obtaining unanimous consent to waive days of standard procedural delays on floor votes, with several senators already signaling that may not occur. Um, Other news, China looks like it's set to announce in coming days an easing of their COVID-19 quarantine protocols and a reduction in mass testing. Uh, The regular shipment of ammonia from Russia to ports in the Black Sea via Ukraine is likely to be restored soon, according to the UN's emergency aid coordinator. We had exports out this morning, and for corn, net sales came in at 602,700 metric tons, but we did have 114,300 metric tons sale of corn to Mexico this morning. Uh, Weekly sales for soybeans, uh, 693,800, and wheat was 155,500 metric tons. And the Office of Management and Budget completed their review November 30th of EPA's final rule to set yet another definition of the waters of the U.S. or WOTUS rule. (laughs) This one, a final rule to replace the navigable waters protection rule from the Trump administration with a definition that goes back to pre-2015 WOTUS rules but tweaked to account for court decisions. 
State-controlled trader United Grain Company expects Russia to export about uh, 53 to 54 million metric tons of grain in 2022-23. And USDA has pulled back its rollout of Phase 2 of the Emergency Relief Program, largely due to a lot of negative producer and former state lawmaker feedback on USDA's apparent approach, which this time it's going to be revenue-based. So Yes. So I I mentioned that to Paul Neifer, who's coming on to talk about some tax issues, and he said, let's put that right at the top of the list of things that we need to talk about. So we're going to get to that with Paul uh, at the bottom of the hour. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Yep. It also requires producers to give her their tax returns. So you can talk with him <laughs> about that. So that's right. That's exactly right. All right, Michelle. Sounds Stick good. around. Stick around because uh, we've got Emily score from Growth Energy coming up here. We'll get to some of the details. You know, the advanced biofuel blending mandates, as we were talking about, 28% increase in advanced biofuel blending mandates in two years. So what's the driver there? Is the driver the driver of an electric vehicle? Well, we'll find out from Emily coming up next right here on AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. AgriTalk is brought to you by the Conservation at Work video series. Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov slash conservation. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Michelle Rook is sticking with us for this conversation, and I want to jump right into it with Emily Score, the CEO of Growth Energy. Emily, welcome back to AgriTalk. It's good to talk with you again. Great to talk with you. Thanks for having me. Well, hot off the presses, huh? Here we go. This could not be more hot off the presses. I mean, we ju- they finally sent out the press release about five minutes ago, Chip. So yep. let's talk the future of biofuels. Okay, let's get into it. What's the biggest takeaway? It looks like the, you know, some of the details were, were leaked or seeped out yesterday, uh, uh, late afternoon through Reuters. And it looks like the, 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 table that that michelle uh detailed in in the opening segment lines up pretty good with what reuters was suggesting correct so i you know i can't speak to that chip but i will say so here's what else like here's the headline you have an epa that is leaning in on the future of renewable fuels and biofuels and ethanol so this is the we got to you know put this in context this is the first year 
that EPA is coming out with blending obligations when they don't have statutory requirements. So they were on their own in considering this. And they, you know, for 2023, 15 billion gallons of implied conventional, and that number increases for 24 and 25. So we have an administrator who's leaning in on, on ethanol, um, and that's pretty outstanding. Yeah. He certainly indicated that that was going to be the case. It is good to see the follow through here, isn't it? It is nice. I will say this administrator, the CPA, when they are when they're channeling, um, they're consistent and there is follow through. And we've seen that from day one in terms of, you know, the their, their halting of the abuse of small refinery exemptions. So they had been kind of channeling quietly and in, in, in different um, venues for the past couple of months. So this is consistent with what we were hoping to see and what we were expecting. OK, um, I, I we should back up here just a little bit because it is December 1st. It's not November 30. Is it a day late? <laughs> well, no. Um, according to our consent decree, um, they, the administrator had to sign this yesterday. So he did sign it. He met the deadline consistent with our consent decree. And we, you know, we were aware that they were going to be signing it and coming out with it today. So we all wanted to see it uh, yesterday, but off, oftentimes they'll sign it and release it on different days. So they met the deadline under the consent decree. So pleased to see that. Okay, very good. Uh, yesterday in a conversation with U.S. Uh, Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa, he wanted to see growth in the uh, corn-based or conventional ethanol usage numbers in here. And it does have growth. There's no question about that. There is the, the the numbers for implied conventional are are pretty outstanding. I, you know where we have to take a look at and where we will be providing comment um, to the agency is on the advanced number, and it's really important that the advanced number is high enough to account for all of the innovation that's taking place in the industry and the projected really rapid expansion of renewable diesel. So. Um, you know, that's where I think you're going to see a lot of input from the biofuels industry in the comment period and in the hearing is really making sure that advanced number is actually higher than what they're proposing. Right. OK, take us to the advanced biofuel blending mandates here. Uh, 5.82 billion in 2023, 6.62 billion 2024. Is it 7.43 billion in, in 25? My calcs, that's a 28% increase in advanced biofuel blending mandates in two years. What's the driver? Well, I mean, I think the driver there is going to be, it's it's a good question. I think renewable diesel um, is going to be driving that. Um, there is going to be a conversation now in, in terms of ERINs. And so that's going to be a component. You look, you look at the cellulosic numbers, which I think are pretty ambitious. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, you know, we'll, we'll have to see ultimately, right? Our, our real concern from an ethanol perspective is we want that advanced number high enough that I don't want any of the renewable diesel that's coming online to be taking it, some of the, the RINs, the D6 RIN pool, and eating into our 15 billion gallon and our 15.25 billion gallon. That's what we're right. really looking out for from an ethanol perspective. Right. Now, these ERINs, as I understand it, Emily, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this... the. The ERINs will be delivered to car manufacturers for for electricity that is produced by a renewable source and used in an electric vehicle. How do we how do we sort all that out? Well, and and they haven't yet. I mean, that's what the comment period is going to be about. Okay. So. 
What's really important as you're looking in the ERIN and the growth of ERINs is you've got to have the safeguards in place, the safeguards that you have for the rest of the, of the RIN pools to make sure that we're addressing double counting, fraud risks, and other requirements to make sure that it's truly renewable energy that's being harnessed to fuel our transportation needs. So there's a lot yet to be figured out, and the agency knows that. Okay. And, and so what I think they're really anticipating, based on my conversations with the agencies, they're anticipating a very robust comment period and conversation yeah. about ERINs. Yeah. Yeah. It, this feels like a 60-day plus an extension on, on the, the comment period here. Uh, not That's not guaranteed, by the way. I just want to it, – it could turn into that. You, you said that the renewable diesel – potential may be reflected in the advanced biofuels, but there was really no specific mention of renewable diesel in the RVOs, correct? Well, and so we have, I mean, we're, we are still have yet to see the the full text of the proposed rule. We've seen the press release. So we're still digging through the details to better understand it because this all came out officially, you know, probably within the last 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I, I I can hear the smile on your face, Emily. You, you, you're happy with the results so far. I do. Yes, I you you are correct. You're hearing a smile on my face. I mean, we are above 15 billion. And so they're signaling growth. The agency gave us the, the additional 250 million gallons for the remand. So so we're, we're seven years later, we're finally covered by the lawsuit that we won yep. um, in terms yep. of gallons that were taken away. But um, you know, I, I think we have an administrator. He he really went to bat for the biofuels industry and for ethanol specifically. Like any proposal, we're not happy with everything. There's a lot of room for improvement. We want to make sure that that advanced number continues to grow up because our fate, the fate of conventional advanced is tied together moving forward. Uh, we've got to make sure that they get the ERINs right. Um, and, you know, the agency has got to clear the backlog of pathways for advanced and cellulosic. So, for example, cellulosic biofuels from corn kernel fiber, they should be able to be participating in that advanced pool. We've got yeah. to make sure that we they 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 clean up that backlog. So there's more work to be done, but I think this initial proposal it's very encouraging. Yeah. Yep, Michelle. Anything that we're that that we've missed as you're looking at the announcement? So, how will the renewable diesel carve out? How will it go forward, Emily? How will that be handled? Well, I mean, that's, you know, yet yet to be seen. Okay. How do you want it? You said you want it to be handled a certain way. But as Chip Chip and I talked about initially this morning, do we even need that with as robust as the marketplace is already pushing for renewable diesel with all of these new plants coming online and whatnot? Well, what we want to see is that advanced number increase to reflect all of the anticipated renewable diesel that's going to be coming online in the years ahead. Um, Because renewable diesel, there's a RIN multiplier associated with it. And so that renewable diesel, it qualifies for an advanced RIN, but it could also eat into that conventional biofuel pool. And that's what we want to protect against. Okay. Okay. Very good. Uh, I real quick, I want to move on to the new legislation that will make E15 available year around. The American Petroleum Institute uh, supports the legislation. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I'd been able to say that about them for the past several years. Um, 
listen, I'm not going to speak for them in terms of why they support it, but I think what the refining industry is starting to see is that they don't want the patchwork solution where you've got a couple states in the middle of the country who um, are able to sell E15. They need different fuel requirements to be able to do that. It, it complicates life for the refineries. So it's it's nice to see that if that's the reason why, great. They're recognizing, you know what? We need a federal solution. So there's consistency across all 50 states. So I I applaud their support of this bill. And of course, this is something that we've been focusing on for years. We got to oh, get it done. Yeah. 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 It, well, and it certainly feels as if there is momentum behind this to get it done. I, it, potential to get it done even in the lame duck? Well, there's always a chance. Um, there's always a chance. And that's what we're all working on together. Okay. Um, and, and I would say you look at these proposed RVOs moving forward. Do you know what we need to be able to meet these requirements? We need E15 year round in all 50 yep. states. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. Emily, we obviously need to stay in touch as the details of the proposed RVOs are sorted out as we make our way through the comment period. Thank you so much for giving us a reaction to something that's hot off the presses. Appreciate your time, Emily. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. That is Emily Score, CEO of Growth Energy. Paul Neifer's up next here on Agritalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Brian, the soy complex is getting pretty sloppy here. What's going on? Well, uh, what's going on is soy oil is absolutely getting routed. Um, just a massive sell-off in, in soy oil, and that's uh, bleeding into uh, soybeans uh, trading more than 30 cents lower here at mid-morning. And the soy meal market, uh, it, it traded solidly to the upside earlier, but uh, now it's uh, given back most of those gains and, and trading with a mixed tone here at mid-morning. So um, just an absolute routing in the uh, the soy oil market, though, and and uh, that's having an impact across not only across the, the soy complex, but also across the uh, the grain markets as well, with corn under pressure and and wheat as well. Yeah, we've got corn four to five cents lower. We've got wheat futures kind of in a similar range. Let's call it five to to eight cents lower in the in most of those contracts. You know, this soybean oil market, I think, is really trying to sort out what's going on. As we just talked about with Emily Score from Growth Energy, uh, trying to sort out exactly what the RVOs and the renewable diesel might mean, uh, or the lack of a mention of renewable diesel in the RVOs might mean going forward. So we'll get that figured out. Um, take us over to the livestock trade. Good follow-through and lean hogs. 
Yeah, especially in the back end of the market. Uh, so deferred contracts are trading sharply to the upside. The December contracts being held back somewhat by the fact that the uh, the cash index just continues to, to slide here seasonally. So uh, limited buyer interest in that front month contract. Uh, feeder cattle, they're being mildly supported by the weakness in the corn market. Uh, live cattle futures, they aren't finding much buyer interest. Uh, initial cash cattle trade came in at steady prices. A little bit disappointing. I still think that we'll firm it up, but uh, for now, just Disappointing. Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. If the world is your oyster, we've got pearls of wisdom on AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Laurie. We're going to get to a conversation with Paul Neefer here in just a moment but first let's make time for yields in the field yields in the fields on agritalk is brought to you by micro essentials from mosaic the science of more discover our proven products text yields to 31313 all right there have been plenty of conversations from the driest areas of the of the drought areas this year um, and they've been pretty revealing on corn yields. Many growers argue that drought alone cut yields in half, and in some places that's probably right. Other growers argue that drought had somewhat limited impact unless there was another issue that made the crop more vulnerable. Rootworms, uh, a mid-season disease, the combination of crop stress and drought were most common when yields were cut by half or more from normal yields. Yields in the field is brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic. All right, uh, Paul Neifer, CPA, Farm CPA at Clifton Larson Allen. Good morning, Paul. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm actually up at the Tri-State Grain Convention up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and we got a foot of snow yesterday, so uh, <laughs> it's going to be a little sloppy driving home today, I think. Yeah, you can keep it, buddy. You can keep it up there. <laughs> Deal with it there. Um, so this morning, as we were sharing some some notes back and forth, uh, you brought up the emergency relief program and the fact that USDA pulled back on the release of the EPA uh, of the ERP, and you wanted to put it right at the top of the list of things to talk about. Why? What's going on there? Well, you know, under phase one, I, I really had no problem with how they implemented the, um, you know, the, the, the actual payment system. What I had a problem with and what a lot of CPAs and farmers had angst about is they had this provision that you could get an extra payment if more than 75% of your farm income or of your AGI was from farm income. But their definition of farm income doesn't make sense. And, you know, we tried to right. get that fixed. And because of, I think, budget issues, they, they dug in their heels and never changed it. Well, this phase two that they were talking about was going to be, you know, you're going to get a payment based on if your Schedule F income or your farm income from 2020 or 21 was less than it was on 18, 19 or 17. Well, farm income on a Schedule F is not your farm income. I mean, it's just what you elected to report at that point in time. So I think yes. uh, definitely uh, all of us in the ag community was pushing back on them and saying, hey, this, you're going to have farmers that really, just because they elected not to report farm income, are going to get a huge payment. And they had a wonderful year. And then you're going to have farmers that had a horrible year, but they elected to bring in some income from previous years. They're going to get nothing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they're stepping back and saying, hey, we need to fix this. 
Yeah. What? <laughs> any any idea what the fix is going to be? Well, I'm 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 either and again, you know, uh, tax information. If you provide it to the local FSA office, that's very sensitive information. Yeah. Right now, we do not provide tax information to the FSA office. The AGI uh, calculations are all reported to FSA from uh, IRS, and they just simply say you're either over or you're under. They don't provide any information. So I, I think what they're going to have to do is come up with some other way, of maybe based on uh, you know crop insurance where you didn't have a claim, but if you went through and redid the calculation they had in phase one, maybe you would have a claim because that all should be in their database. Um, you know, doing it based on tax returns, that's going to be a mess because we already have a mess. We've had many, many clients or CPA firms call us and say, hey, we lost a client or a farm client because we didn't think they qualified for, as a farmer under the calculations. And they went some other CPA said you did qualify. So you know, they, they need to stop using tax returns for doing disaster payments and come up with something that's a little bit more objective. Well, it there was confusion over who was eligible for a second payment under phase one, right? Well, yeah, it was huge because they had this, I'm going to call it a silly rule that if you sold farm equipment or traded in farm equipment, that that only counted if all your other income was more than uh, two-thirds of your total income, including the farm equipment gains, well, that was impossible for uh, because of the Tax Reform Act of, 19, of 2017. Almost none of our farmers qualified in that situation. Even though we'd gone back to the old rules, they easily would have qualified. So it was just Jeez. a mess. And again, once they went over that $6 billion mark that they had set aside for phase one, you knew they weren't going to change it because they didn't want to pay out more money. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, speaking of equipment purchases, I saw your item on depreciation. It, what what do farmers need to be aware of when it comes to the depreciation laws uh, in, between now and the end of the year? Yeah. You know, essentially this year, they're probably okay. Uh, you know, we've had five years where 100% bonus depreciation and or Section 179 allows them to write off 100% of their all their farm purchases. And right. that could be like a building. doesn't have to be equipment. It can be a building. Now, starting next year, that's scheduled to drop to 80% and then 60% the year after and 40, 20, and then zero. There's a lot of talk right now in Congress about possibly keeping 100% bonus through 2025 and then making it zero starting in 2026. But you know, with the fact that the Republicans have a very slim majority next year and you've got the continuing resolution or the budget talk, it may be difficult to have much of any type of tax um, changes passed this year. So I, I just don't know. So I think the key thing is, and I was talking to a CPA a couple of days ago, he's saying, well, I could just push a deduction into 2023 on, on a building. And I said, well, remember, next year it's 80 percent and it's not 100 percent. So, oh, that means I better put the uh, I better place that building in service this year, which they could. So it, it isn't a huge deal, especially on equipment where you still have Section 179 of a million yeah. to roughly for next year. But it's something to be concerned about. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, does the bonus depreciation eventually catch up with you? It does. 
all it is it's a timing mechanism so yeah regular so at the end of the useful life of that piece of equipment you're going to be exactly the same spot and actually if you finance that equipment it can actually hurt you a little bit because you yep. get that deduction now that's big but then the next five years you got no depreciation so you have additional taxes so all it is is a, a timing mechanism okay okay very good very good uh one of your recent <laughs> blogs that that you had out there I mean, you asked a question that I think should be fairly evident, but the question at the top of your blog was, are you a farmer? Yeah, <laughs> what, yeah. what? What's that all about? Well, for income tax purposes, farmers have a very nice feature. They do not have to pay in for quarterly tax estimates. You know, most people like you and I, mm -hmm. uh, if, if we're not having it through withholding, we have to pay a quarterly estimate on April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and then January 15th. Well, farmers either can pay an estimate on January 15th, which is late in the year, or as long as they file and pay the tax by March 1st, they don't have to pay any estimates. Well, the definition of a farmer, almost like this FSA issue that we had on phase one, definition of farmer income does not include any gains from either trading in or selling farm equipment. And for a lot of your farmers, that's a big number. You know, they might have a million dollar gain on trading in farm equipment, which then they get to depreciate, you know, the the, the trade-in value. So net net, they're still okay. But for estimated tax purposes, they're no longer a farmer, which means they had to pay an estimate on April, June, September, and January. And now with the interest rate at least 6% for this year on the penalty and then uh, next quarter, it's probably 7%. Uh, that can come back and bite them and the IRS will send out letters. We've had clients get letters saying, hey, you're not a farmer, pay up. So uh, that's just huh. something that they need to make sure they discuss with their tax advisor here to find out. Now, if they qualified last year, they automatically qualify this year, but if they don't qualify this year, then they better make sure they qualify in 2023. And if they don't, they need to start paying estimated tax payments. Okay. The easiest way to handle that is sit down with the tax advisor and, and talk yeah. through the whole issue, correct? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and there's ways that we can provide some advice. Hey, do this, don't do that. Uh, but, you know, some of these penalties uh, for some farmers, we're easily talking five or $10,000. So it can add up pretty fast. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, should we expect anything from the lame duck Congress as far as the tax package goes? I think we're probably going to get something, uh, but uh, you know the issue is the Democrats are pushing uh, changes to the child tax credit and the child independent care credit. That's big numbers. You know, we're talking 50, 75 billion of additional lost revenues right. in one year, not over 10 years, but in one year. Uh, the the things for farmers is the bonus depreciation, the SECURE Act, that's for retired farmers. Um, there's some changes that they want to do on business interests that doesn't affect most farmers and some changes on research and experimentation expenses. Again, doesn't affect most farmers. The big one would be maybe bonus being 100% instead of 80% next year. But I, I think they'll have something, but I don't think it's going to be very big. Okay, so nothing that is going to demand any planning for between now and the end no. of the year. Okay. No, this would all, right. all be affecting you next year, so I, I wouldn't worry about it. For, well, 
potentially the R&E, but most farmers don't have R&E expenses, research and, and experimentation expenses. So I, I think for most farmers, we're really talking 2023, not 2022. Gotcha. Gotcha. Paul, it's always valuable time that we spend with you. Thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate you. You're welcome. Thanks, Jim. Hey, where do we get your podcast? Real quick. So go to Apple or Spotify. It's just the Farm CPA podcast. And the it Farm typically comes CPA out every podcast. And it comes out every Tuesday, usually. Excellent. Paul Neifer, Farm CPA, CLA. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. We don't make the news, we render it. Agritalk. Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, South Pacific, Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio, Joe McCarthy, Richard Nixon. Welcome back to Agritalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Hey, I was looking back at some of the conversations that I had at the National Association of Farm Broadcasting, and we decided that there are some that are just too good to not make available to you. So... Livestock producers, here's one for you. Joining us now is Dean Meyer. He's from Rock Rapids, Iowa, incoming chair of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dean, congratulations. Thank you, Chip. It's good to be here and, yeah. and good to represent the U.S. Meat Export Federation. All right. When you talk about the responsibilities that come along with the position that you're in now and you're taking those on, what does it mean to you? I think it's a great opportunity to, to uh, pull the nine sectors together and work with those outside even the industries that I'm used to working with. Um, you know, the corn, soybean, livestock industry, we can also glean a lot from the packing and trading industry and, and, and even the staff that works internationally. It's, it's a great opportunity to pull everybody together to help put U.S. red meat on the world's table. So when you look at what... You, well, first things first, Dean, tell us about your operation before I ask you what USMEF might have done for your operation. Tell us about your, your place. Yeah, I'm a fourth-generation farmer in extreme northwest Iowa, Rock Rapids. I yep. farm with my three sons. we got a corn-soybean roll crop operation. we got a cattle feedlot, and we got a hog finishing operation. Okay. So U.S. Meat Export Federation and everything that they do to build demand around the world, what's that mean to you? It, it means... And put it in blunt terms, approximately $500 back per head on my beef, $60 back on pork, $0.66 cents a bushel on corn, and, and $1.70 a bushel on soybeans. That's value. Dean, that seems like something worth working for, doesn't it? 
it is, and, and, and there's room to grow. It's, you know, we, I look, when I, when I started on the U.S. Meat Export Board seven years ago, and the acceleration we've had since then, and we still have opportunity. There's, there's developing countries that are demanding U.S. red meat and, and are growing middle class, and um, we've got staff there. We're, we're, we're not working on one country. USMEF is broad-based. We work in all countries. Okay. All countries. Stay away from Asia for me for just a bit because every time I have a conversation with John or Joe or anybody or, or Dan, it, it, we always go straight to Asia. Stay out of Asia for a little bit. Where do you see the, some, some additional potential? Well, it's, it's hard to stay out of Asia, but, <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, Central South America. I mean, there's, there's opportunity. Mexico, Central America, Colombia. Um, pork in Colombia. I mean, you look since the free trade agreement, what that has done. You know, it, it's and and then you know our developing country, Africa. I mean, we got staff there. I mean, they're the they're the youngest demographics in the world. Huge population, growing middle class. There's going to be opportunity. You know that that that's going to be you know the next China. It is or or the next Japan. You know, look where Japan started 20 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, there's going to be opportunity there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now we can go back and include Asia in the comments, but the uh, uh, the South Korean market, the China market, and, and China for beef in 2022. Good grief! That's just been an explosion of demand. Yeah, it's even you know far far above what I even yeah. would have, even after 21 we thought we were on a roll, and then we go eight months billion you know a billion dollars. It's just huge and you know it, it isn't because we got excellent relationships with China it's because they want our product and uh, and they, they want our and, and they, they've been zero COVID policy you know since yeah. COVID food service is closed but we're still moving product in there you know we get food service opened up again there's gonna be more opportunity there yet yeah and then you go to Korea what a success for story on a free trade agreement it goes to show you know these commodity groups need to help us um, work on our legislators we need free trade agreements we, we need a USTR trade negotiator we yes. need those individuals in place we need we get a free trade agreement you know I mentioned Columbia look what that's done it's free trade agreements work especially Man. in the US meat with no tariffs we can move product preach it there Pre keep Man. preaching that Dean because they do work they uh, it, it's it's absolutely clear that these trade agreements work and they they help us build the markets out there um, you I, I can't I, I gotta ask the question about quality because China South Korea can get beef from other parts of the world but it's not the quality of the beef that they're getting out of the US and that's got to have such an impact on overall demand. Quality, certainly, and and that that is what sells our product. I mean, we got the variety of meats, and we got yeah. the underutilized cuts that add tremendous value, you know, to credit to it, uh, carcasses. But the quality, and specifically corn fed. I mean, there, there's grain fed, there's but corn fed. There's a dis dis distinction. Visiting with in-country staff, they can see, and in those Southeast Asian countries, they are really particular about their food yeah. I mean, and uh, that's what sells it you get that marbling from corn fed soybean fed pork and beef and uh, yep. that's where we stand out yep well and then the cattlemen are helping out with the genetics that they've got in the feed yard too yeah you you look at where our quality grain grades have gone yeah. in the last 10 years i mean oh. we went from three percent prime to ten percent prime yeah I off mean, the charts man yeah, yeah. it's outstanding what are you looking forward to the most 
we're uh, working with a team, and we got opportunity ahead. I, I look at this, the, these countries out there that have tremendous value that's to be tapped. And, uh, yeah, we've got some headwinds, but when haven't we have headwinds yeah. here? I mean, we got the value, you know, the dollar value versus, you know, some of the other slumping markets. You know, we still got some COVID issues, transportation issues. But yet, look look how we we pushed through the, you know, the past two years with, yeah. with the COVID pandemic. We got opportunity. I got a great team to work with. Uh, the officer team is, I mean, we're our synergisms are great, and yeah. uh, we're ready to go. Yeah. Doesn't sound like you've got any uh, regrets about getting involved with USMEF. Not at all. It's a, it's a great team, and uh, uh, when I can when I can put you know what I do at home to work internationally, yeah. it's a great opportunity. That's an uh, awesome, awesome, Dean. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, man. Thank you, Chip. It's been great to be here. All right, Dean Meyer from US Meat Export Federation. All right, thanks again, Dean. The value of beef and pork exports. The value that it brings to each and every cattle and hog that you sell is many times, many times the difference between profit and loss. USMEF works hard to build those markets, and Dean is going to be a great representative around the globe for what you are doing. All right. Thank you so much for listening this morning. Come back this afternoon. Conversation with Sam Hudson from Corn Belt Marketing. And tomorrow morning, it's a free-for-all right here on Agritalk.